Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm really, uh, such a perfect day to bring you this particular show. Uh, it's called Youth Activism, Misguided and Naive, or Breath of Fresh Air and Hope. And joining me today to talk about this issue are two filmmakers who made a film, uh, interestingly enough, called... Um, The Day I Had to Grow Up, which is a documentary about youth activism, and um, it's won numerous awards. And um, the reason I say, of course, that today is a perfect day to be talking about this is because today is the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. And if there's been activism about anything recently, in recent years, it's certainly been about George Floyd's death. Um... So let me introduce my guests. Um, first of all, Stefano Stefano <laughs> Stefano DeFray, uh, yes. who is <laughs> yes, who is the president and owner of Rosso Films International, and Laura Pellegrini, who is the vice president and co-owner of Rosso Films International, and they have. Um, produced previous documentaries as well. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, And you can read it, of course, on the website, you know, the uh, website page for Dr. Carol's Couch on voiceamerica.com. This is, you know, it's so interesting because as I was warning my guests ahead of time, um, I have a somewhat different view about um, youth activism than is in the, in the film, I watched the film. It was refreshing. It was um, very heartfelt. It was um, the six uh, youth teens who you interviewed were um, certainly passionate, articulate, um, you know, leaders of tomorrow. Obviously, um, and but I couldn't help um, feeling that some of what they um, were thinking, believing, was misguided and naive. Of course, that's because I'm an adult and <laughs> over 30, right? <laughs> um, but Absolutely, yeah, we understand. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I have very strong and passionate um, thoughts of myself, of my own, in regard to things mm-hmm. that are wrong in today's world. Um, they just aren't necessarily all the same things. But I, I want to hear, first of all, about um, where you each, a little bit of bio information about the two of you, so that we, I and my listeners can understand where you're coming from. And sure. then um, I'd like you to talk about um, where you got the idea for this film, you know, why you did this film, and uh, then how, how you picked the six use that you picked, and so on. So let's start with a little bio uh, about each of you. Uh, uh, Laura, do you want to go like first, or should I go first? Yeah, Stephano, I'll go, go first. for it. Go for it. All right. Okay. So, 
so I'm uh, a little bio, 36 years old, um, born uh, in Montreal, Canada, um, immigrated to the United States, became an American citizen in 2015, but I spent a lot of time uh, as a kid moving around, living in Canada and living in Europe. So I think my worldview was shaped by um, many different perspectives, different people with different ideologies, different uh, religions, different backgrounds, and sort of always, um, you know, when you're, when you're a kid moving from place to place, you have to learn very quickly uh, what, the, um, what the environment and the milieu that you're in uh, to sort of know what the, 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 the signs are, right? What the, what the, what the language is to, to um, yes. coexist. So mm-hmm. I think that yes. had a big influence on my life. And I think afterwards, you know, uh, being a filmmaker, uh, living in New York, Laura and I had met each other about eight years ago. We started working on films. And, you know, without giving, going too much into detail, I think the big impetus that helped us was a, a documentary that we did previous to this, which was called The Girl Who Cannot Speak. And this was a film that was on NBC. It was, it was picked up by um, uh, NBC and, and featured in, in Meet the Press. And that film dealt with uh, sexual abuse, and it dealt with a woman's shelter. And I think it prepared us for dealing with subject matter that was mm-hmm. extremely delicate, very hard. Um, you could tell the difference between people who were... Um, uh, telling you sort of the truth or, or uncomfortable or um, feeling, you know, that they, you know, that the trust was an issue in, in, in uh, each person was different. And so I think the, the, the inspiration for this documentary came from um, a lot of the school shootings for us. You know, once we finished that documentary, we started to see a wave of activism that started to happen, particularly starting with Sandy Hook and then, and then particularly with Parkland. So I would end on that note. And uh, I know Laura has a lot to say about the watershed moments in her life, like 9-11 and, and, and why we talked about this together as a team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm 32 okay. years old, and um, I, I grew up in Rye, New York, which is a... Uh, a suburb in, in Westchester. It's about 45 minutes north of the city. So I'd always had access to the city, which was really great, you know, being exposed to, like Stefano said, a, a milieu of, of different beliefs and ideologies from a young age, you know, having parents who grew up in the city, very grounded, tried to expose me to as many, you know, aspects of the city as possible to give me that experience and that worldview was certainly um, instrumental uh, for me growing up and then developing my tastes in, in cinema and, and meeting Stefano and realizing I had a kindred spirit with the same taste. So it's, it's really nice that from that background, we could connect and build this company and, and make these films together. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just touching off, off what Stefano said about watershed moments, I know for myself that it was certainly 9-11. Um, I remember I was in seventh grade at the time, and I just remember widespread panic throughout the school. You know, and I, I remember teachers coming to, to students' aid from a really loving and compassionate standpoint and not really understanding fully what was going on, but knowing that certain kids who were touched by tragedy had to grow up very, very quickly because they, they lost their parents, they lost their loved ones. Um, so that was a real eye-opener, just a real visceral experience um, as, a, as a young child growing up in the world, you know. And for Stefano and I, you know, getting into the... The, the pre-production phases of this film, it was certainly speaking with activists 
who were experiencing watershed moments, like he said, with Sandy Hook or with Parkland in particular, um, that was really kind of the touchstone of the beginning of the journey for this film. Yes, you dedicated it to um, uh, Helena Ramsey, 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 uh, who was one of the victims, one of the, yeah, Ramsey, right, one of the victims of uh, Parkland, uh, Mm -hmm. who actually um, helped her friend survive and and lost her life in the, in doing that, Um, and and she didn't protect herself. Um, Correct. You know, it's interesting. Let me tell you how I relate from what you've said so far, let me tell you how I relate to each of you. Sure. Um, uh, Stefano, first of all, I um, I was born, well, actually, Laura, this relates to you, too. Um, <laughs> I was born and bred in New York, uh, New York City, and um, I went to medical school in Belgium. And I lived in Belgium, and I lived in Paris, and I lived in uh, London. So I, you know, get the, you know, what you were saying about... Um, learning the language. I mean, I know you meant it metaphorically, but learning how to fit into wherever you are. And then Laura, yeah. it's so funny that you talk about 9-11. That was a watershed moment for me too, even though by then I was already living in California, but my heart right. was still in New York. And um, I, because of, or since, because of 9-11, I have devoted a significant part of my life my professional life to helping people with terrorism. I've written two books on terrorism. Uh, my latest one is called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And uh, I've did, you know, done a whole bunch, and I call myself, I've trademarked <laughs> the terrorist therapist. So this, um, that has changed my life too. So, all right. So let's get to this youth activist. So, <laughs> So, you know, I, and of course, Parkland, and, you know, I, I've talked a lot about the school shootings in Parkland and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get to, to youth activism, misguided and naive or breath of fresh air and hope. How did you, how did you form the, um, uh, develop the format of the film, and how did you recruit the youth? So I think the beginning, the first beginning um, activist that we had found, we saw, I, I was, uh, we were in the process of, I think, editing, or uh, I don't remember what we were, I was in Colorado, I must have been in Aspen, Colorado, we worked with an editor who works for the BBC, and I, I had seen uh, this young boy who had, uh, uh, was at Capitol Hill sharing a story of his, uh, of his grandparents who had survived the Holocaust. And he, he, he relates as a through line the, um, the, 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 the stories that his parents were preparing to tell him about the Holocaust that he w- wanted to know, but wasn't old enough to know. And so this process of growing up, of not knowing, uh, of, of not being prepared to know, mm. was a, a, a through line for this personal monologue that he has from his perspective of the climate crisis. And he was a member of the Sunrise Movement, which for people who are, for any of your listeners who are out there, you know, the Sunrise Movement focuses primarily on climate uh, crisis issues and environmental issues. And so that's where we began. We began first with Jeremy Ornstein. And, you know, as soon as I got back from Colorado, 
I, I literally was on the phone with Laura immediately after I showed it to her, shared it with her. I saw this person had 2 million views. I didn't know how we were going to get a hold of this person. Huh. I had contacted people at NBC to see if we, yeah. if we could get a hold of this person. I, whatever, whatever tools that we had, uh, you know, trying to pull any card out, out, of, out of the deck to see what we could do. And then, and then we immediately rented the car to meet up with Jeremy as a person because when you have a subject matter, mm-hmm. a, a subject, you don't know, like, like, uh, unlike a trip or a summer camp, you don't know if it's sustainable for a two-year process. You don't know, you know, mm-hmm. when you're doing a documentary, you need, to, uh, uh, you need to spend a lot of time together. And that process, we needed to meet him right away. And, and, and I'll let Laura take that up about when we, um, how, we, how, we, how our meeting went and, and how we started to develop that list as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, well, I remember, wait, I remember wait, that day. Wait, 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 wait Laura, yeah. just before you get into that. Um, sure. First of all, I, you know, he, it, it was a very passionate. He was, uh, he was in, um, at, outside of Nancy Pelosi's office with a group yes. of people, and he was uh, giving this speech. And, you know, his face was so, he was so passionate. Um, his face was red the whole time. And, and yes, mm-hmm. you know, his heart was literally was in his mouth. But I didn't quite get how... He started with, or, or you know, the clip that you have started with, his, his, his calling his father and his father telling him about the synagogue in Pennsylvania that was attacked. And, but I didn't quite get the connection between that and the climate. So maybe, Laura, you can start with that. Well, well I think, you know, touching back to Stefano's point, too, I think Jeremy was trying to create a through line through, uh, across different, so he mentions, you're right, he mentions different, there's different ideas in his speech, but he, he's trying to create a through line, a through line to show how impactful these issues are and how they demand and they, they need attention now. And there have been promises that have been made, let's say, by a higher legislation that haven't been carried over. So, so Jeremy was also talking about the responsibilities that he feels being so young and being a youth activist to step up to the plate to make those things happen. I think he, he's trying to create, you know, some kind of through line between those causes. Um, at the center of it is talking about uh, climate change, because he was there, like Stefano said, on behalf of the Sunrise Movement. But he was, he was harnessing the power of his personal story to come to that, to that, um, to, to make that idea clear to people who were there, who were present, who were at Capitol Hill, and for people who were watching. Um, and, and I think and the, the point was that, that the day, yep. the, 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 um, his phone call, this phone call that he talks about, was the day mm-hmm. that he had to grow up. And then he's saying that I had to grow up and, and deal with all the problems, or lots of problems, several problems in the world. Is that right. it? Well, well okay. I think, hold on, I think, I think, yes, Dr. Carol, you think? I, I think that, that's uh, simplifying it a little bit too much, respectfully so. I mean, it's an embarrassing thing if a 17-year-old kid mm-hmm. is talking to his father about uh, legislative issues like gun control and synagogues not being legislated through the adults in his life. That's the point. Uh-huh. The point uh-huh. is, that, is that the kids in the documentary are 17 and 18 years old, and it's right. an embarrassment that these kids who are that young are the ones saying, hey, we're putting up our hands because we want 
to have you guys take notice that this is serious. Now, the counter-argument to that is that, well, they haven't worked out the policy issues. But of course, that's not an argument. They're 17 and 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, of course, mm-hmm. they don't have the, the, cons- the, 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 cons- the, the constituency and the sophistication to, to enact policies. So it's a, it's a non-argument, in a sense, because what you're looking for is people that are putting a light to things that haven't been done, that are working collaboratively with older generations that are saying, oh, yeah, you know what? We may have missed this. We actually, we actually are not spending enough time shepherding our kids. And by actually not shepherding our kids, that's how they become more on the fringe. We end up losing them. They become less centrist because, yeah. they, they, because the emotional quality to become, to, to become part of a movement, whether it's a radical movement or any movement, has a more emotional tone to that. And that should not be underemphasized as well. So, I, I, you know, from my perspective, I don't want to speak on Laura's behalf. You know, when you're a 17-year-old kid and you're having to yeah. explain that, to, to other people, and, and we showed very well in the day I had to grow up. There's a reason why there is nobody older than 18 years old in the documentary. So I think that's part uh-huh. of the aspect to, to driving the idea home and through. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, okay, well, you know, we're, uh, we're going to be having to take, this is probably a good point to take a break, and when we come back, Laura, why don't you start with um, how you met Jeremy and what he was really like in person and and all of that, and then also uh, the other people, how you got to them. So, um, so <laughs> this has been a very uh, very interesting first uh, first segment. And um, needless to say, I urge all of you to stay tuned. Um, you, we are talking with Te- Stefano Defray and Laura Pellegrini, the filmmakers of this fabulous documentary. Um, called The Day I Had to Grow Up. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about that. And, and we're talking, in general, the, uh, the subject um, is youth activism, misguided and naive, or breath of fresh air and hope. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. 
www.drcarol.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about youth activism, misguided and naive, or breath of fresh air and hope. My guests are Stefano DeFray and Laura Pellegrini, and they are the filmmakers um, of a wonderful film called The Day I Had to Grow Up. Uh, so w- why don't we go, go to Laura now? And um, because you were going to start telling us about how, about meeting sort of the, uh, the main character in your documentary, Jeremy. So mm-hmm. tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so just touching back to what Steph was saying, we, um, I remember the day we rented out a car to go to D.C. We took about a five-hour trip to go down to D.C. to finally meet up with Jeremy. You know, we had, we had corresponded via email and had spoken to him briefly on the phone about meeting up. Um, but it wasn't until we met him in person that, you know, we, we really got to sit down with him and, and talk about our vision for the film. And, you know, I, I think, I think initially, I, I don't know if he felt this way, Steph, but I think there was a little bit of hesitation, you know, not really knowing quite what he was getting himself into, because I think he had just experienced kind of a whirlwind with all the attention that he was getting for the speech. Um, so it wasn't until he met with us too. Yeah, with Jeremy. And I don't think it was yep. until he met with us two in person that he was like, okay, these guys are, these guys know what they're doing. You know, I'm, I'm in good hands. Uh-huh. These guys are they're cool. They're filmmakers. Uh-huh. They have their heads on straight. They, they know exactly what they want to do here. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience because we very seldom did we talk about politics at that coffee table. We, we talked about his interests. And we got to know him as a person. We talked about poetry and Bob Dylan. So, you know, like Stefano said, you peel away, you peel away the layers of, of a person and they, they no longer are a subject for a documentary. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're talking to a human being, to flesh and blood. And, and it was, you know, that's still the deal for us. That, that meeting really um, put it all into perspective. And from there, Jeremy became an amazing resource to get us in touch with other activists that we either met through the Sunrise Movement or through other organizations. Um, he was really instrumental in that, in that process and getting in touch, getting us in touch with at least, what was it, stuff like, 30, you know, between 20, 25 to 30, yeah, activists. Of the initial um, list, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Those, we had about a very 35. thorough vetting process. Yeah, we had about 35 people that we, initi- that we had initially and then through a process of elimination based on topics. And then based on geographical locations, based on their, you know, their uh, cultural backgrounds, um, we, we wanted to find, you know, geography, topics, specificity on topics, age, 
um, and then and then whether we could work with them. And, you know, we go from, let's say, 35 to 30, 35, then down to 20, then down to 15. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with, let's say, you know, uh, seven and only six make it in the cut. But we probably mm-hmm. filmed about seven or eight uh, in total. Uh, but we interviewed, I mean, went through all 30, 25 people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how did you decide on the format of the, of the film? We knew early on that the documentary would have a format of being an aspect of youth and a um, a generational uh, a, gener- a generational um, view, a generational um, insight. And so, how do you do that? Right? You have one link who links everybody, and then from that, you have each individual person who can speak to something more um, intelligently. So, for example, high student debt crisis or the Black Lives Matter movement, or uh, someone who survived the Parkland shooting, or someone who um, is, 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 is also part of a, a different type of movement, and, and for, let's say they, they care about, uh, you know, plastics in the ocean, you know, all sorts of different aspects of people who can give some type of insight into um, it, it, and, and tie it all together. Jeremy is really the through line through it all um but mm-hmm. we always knew that they, we always yeah they, we always knew that i'm sorry yeah now you said that it took two years to make right mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yes and were um were were the people all together like sometimes it seemed like they were all in the same room or did you um did, did you just make it look that way did you interview them separately uh, so every person was interviewed uh, separately, but we were at the same studio, and we picked a specific time to have them uh, together, but we didn't want them to meet. We didn't want anybody exactly. to influence the other person. Um, right. and, you know, Laura can speak to this too, but you know, just working yeah. with uh, uh, women that we had worked with for the NBC documentary from a women's shelter, you don't want to impress upon the idea that you're doing good or that you have to compare yeah. yourself to That's someone right. else. Right, Laura? Right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, that, I, think, I think that was a very mindful decision before, before we went into production, uh, Dr. Carroll, that we, you know, we're going to keep these interviews. We were all going to have them, you know, interviewed at the same location, but at different times because, you, you want them to show up as the as the most coherent and authentic version of themselves, you know, and that in and of itself is hard to get to as well because when you're interviewing these kids, they're always going to put the best quote unquote version of themselves, yes. which you then have to kind of hammer down into the most authentic and and to make matters right. easier, we wanted to just do it one on one with them, you know, it was essential to the work that we were doing. Um, and then just touching back to the the first part of the question of how it took two years. You know, it, it was an extensive pre-production process. Um, then you have production, and then you have post-production. And, and post took a while because, you know, Stefano and I talk about this all the time. You have one film in your mind of in pre-production of how it's going to be, right? And then you make a film. Um, that's the second version. And then the third version is the film that you wind up with in post. And there were many evolutions throughout post that this film went through. So, okay, wait. So, but going back to something that you said, um, so... You kept these people, 
away from each other until the very end? Is that what you're saying? Uh, we may, yes. I mean, our interview process, to they, they knew who each other was, uh, and they sometimes saw each other ahead of time, but I, we never let anyone see the other person's interview happen. Uh, Correct. For, for uh-huh. a, a multitude of reasons. One is um, sometimes they're sharing something very intimate, so it's a closed set, and you want to give a sacredness to a sacred container in that space right. of vulnerability. I, I would say that's the first thing. The second thing is that I really don't, I, we don't believe as filmmakers that we want anyone to think that they're doing good. There is no good. There's no good. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no, there's none of that. It's, it's, it's whatever is coming across authentically. And, and we're just trying to get closer to that source of wherever um, that person really is, is, is genuinely sharing from. So that's, exactly. that's, what, that's what we understood early on emotionally from, from our, our experience. So when you finally got them in the same room together, I'm assuming you did that, um, what was that like? I mean, it's interesting that uh, they seem to all, if, even if, it seems like they would all agree with each other, you know, that, um, that let's say they didn't, uh, they didn't hear what each person said in the interview, but I have the impression that if they then all met, that they would all be on the same page in terms of these issues. Is that right? I would say, I would say that's, uh, you know, respectfully disagree. Um, there's many of them are more progressive and other ones, I would say, are more centrist and have, you know, you would label as a moderate Democrat. Uh, and then I would even say one person, you know, I, it's, it's, not, uh, uh, it's not popular as a young person to be mm-hmm. a Republican, but uh, would have a more conservative slant. So uh, Laura and I know who that is. We know who those, how, we, how those six people are. But I, mm-hmm. I would say yeah, that... Yeah, uh, let I, me I, just... Uh, was that was you the more guess? conservative should one? We, should we take yes. bets on this? Yeah, let's take bets. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Taylor said her parents were Republican, but that um, that then she learned that there were other ways of being in the world. Um, right, right. Uh, maybe Violet? I don't know. None of them struck me as particularly Republican. It was pretty much all progressive or centrist. Who was the Republican? Who was the, uh, the hidden Republican? So, so I, I love that we're taking bets, and we'll tell you off the air, but, um, <laughs> but it's not a popular thing to be a Republican at that age. Very <laughs> hard. It's lonely to be uh, a Republican and, and to be a conservative. Yes. Um, so yes, I, I, yes. I, I, so I, would, I would say that for us, the the importance was that we had that sense of knowing that and they shared that with yes. us um but but it was you know how to <laughs> protect them um and not editorialize them and also give them the sense right. to to speak i think is 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 a real challenge so it's a real challenge to to do that so you know for it us is. It, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, it's a real it, challenge you know yeah it is, and it also it rises above any political ideology. You know, at the end of the day, it's the least interesting thing about the people we were talking about, whether they were Republican or mm-hmm. progressive 
or centrist, you know, really, really getting to know their story and, and what compelled them to go into the arena of political activism, knowing their story, knowing what moves them as people and, and knowing what solutions and obstacles they've come across in, in trying to, you know, um, make an issue more known and, and to amplify a, a message around something. So at the end of the day, it's, it's more, it's more interesting too for us as soul makers um, to kind of separate ourselves from the political agenda and really focus on, on the person. You know, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But here's where, what my, um, here's what I have a problem with, not with your film. It's, as I said, it's mm-hmm. beautiful and all that, but the only you know, like you were saying, it's not popular to be a Republican. Um, the problem is, or I see it as a problem, um, that schools, and I'm, I must say, I didn't really realize the degree of this until this past year when um, I think the thing that really brought it home was this article I was reading about a, uh, an architecture professor in a college who was helping kids or people, um, I mean, I think the idea was helping his students primarily, um, figure out what is the best way to attack a statue. How do you get a a statue to topple most easily? And I thought to myself, what? A professor of architecture is helping students um, topple statues? Hello? This is America. Yeah, These are totally. American statues. This is our history. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. And then I started looking into education more, and I've become more and more um, aware of, um, you know, this whole um, uh, Black Lives Matter and the whole um, racial, uh, uh, you know, what's going on, you know, racial, sexual, the things that are the progressive agenda that is going on even in kindergartens, no less colleges. And um, I find that very frightening. So when, when kids like the ones that you have, 17 and 18, um, I love their passion and I love that they're willing to be leaders and to stand up for what they believe in and, and you know, um, be brave about that and all that. But I worry about the fact that they are doing this based upon what they have been taught. And what they have been taught, a lot of it, I don't agree with. Right. But I think, but, but Dr. Dr. Carroll, the, the one thing I would say is, you know, Laura and I are not pro-cancel culture. And I don't believe that anything in our documentary suggests that. I think yeah. that, you know, in your story, we, we, would, take, we would take issue um, with, with, we would actually 100% agree with you that Correct. people who are destroying institutions should not be the educators of our country. I mean, this is, this is not a, a left-right issue from, from, from our perspective. I don't want to speak on Laura's behalf, but, but from, from the way that we have our conversations over time, and I would not suggest that any of the, the, the activists in our, in our documentary have that agenda as well. I think what, you, I think what you're saying and, and pointing to the situation that's a bit more uh, separate, whereas... You know, there are people who have progressive agendas that exist in America and kids who are brought along. And the susceptibility of being brought along to that is troublesome, just like anything that you're young, you're uh, susceptible to, and you're, and you're brought in. And it seems to be 
it seems to be the case now that, you know, really you know, destroying or, or having no interest in, in rebuilding rather than and, and demolishing an institution mm-hmm. rather than, than, than building upon it or, or, or making it better seems to be sort of the, the, the activism of the day. Um, these things are not synonymous with some things that we discuss in our, in our documentary, and they're things that frighten us as well. You know, our selection of our kids were specifically, of our youth activists, were so that we didn't, we tried to have yeah. much more of a centrist perspective. Um, and, and, you know, we on a personal uh, note as filmmakers agree with you wholeheartedly that this is unacceptable. So, you know, that's, that's the stance that we feel personally as filmmakers, and, and, and we think that um, it, it's, it's a sense of... of um, you know, it's not a left-right issue. It's more of a of a of a completely out of, totally out of reality uh, way. And I and I can understand. I can understand. You know, all of us have these. You know, Laura and I are almost at the age of soon to become. You know, one day parents, and we think about this too, raising our kids. And mm-hmm. you know, what? Adv- how do we raise our kids in this world? What kind of parents c- can we be as as artists and as filmmakers? And I think, you know. Our point in this documentary is that you have to work with the generation that you have. You have this generation, whether you like them or not, it's right. better to shepherd them and to connect with them so that you can say to them, this is wrong. I understand how you feel. I'm listening to you. I agree with one, two, four, and seven. But on uh-huh. three, eight, and ten, I disagree uh-huh. with there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong. It doesn't have uh-huh, to be an all-or-nothing uh-huh. proposition. That's all. Uh, yes, that's, that's very yeah. interesting. All right. <laughs> we need to take another break. The time is going quickly. Um, <laughs> the, we're, I'm talking today with two wonderful filmmakers who made a wonderful film called The Day I Had to Grow Up. Uh, Stefano DeFray and Laura Pellegrini. We're going to be coming right back, so stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about youth activism, misguided and naive, or breath of fresh air and hope. Uh, with my guests, the filmmakers of the film The Day I Had to Grow Up, which has won numerous uh, awards, and uh, Stefano Defray and Laura Pellegrini. And, um, you know, we're talking about, I mean, one of the things, why don't we get into one of the most, what I consider the most egregious example, and since today is the anniversary of George Floyd's death, right. uh, it's the perfect one to talk about. Um, I... One of one of my um, pet peeves, or one of that kind of trivializes it, but one of the things I feel very strongly about, and have been talking about in the media and and so on, um, is Black Lives Matter, because um, what people don't understand, and and including the youth, but but not just the youth. What a lot of people don't understand, actually, I'll give you an example of youth um, in this context. Um, a family that I treat, I, uh, you know, it's two parents and a daughter who's 14 now. Um, about several months ago, uh, she talked about donating her birthday money to Black Lives Matter. This is a really mm-hmm. nice right. family, very uh, sweet and very, you yeah. know, <laughs> relatively sophisticated, I mean, tuned into the world in any case. Um, and I was sort of, and Jewish, and I was kind of horrified. Um, mm-hmm. And this girl is intelligent. Um, and and I was horrified that, I, you know, that she would do this. And I said to her, you know, it's really great. I mean, you know, I didn't want to get my political beliefs into the therapy, but I said, um, it's really great that you want to donate your uh, birthday money to a charity or a cause. I don't think I said charity because it's not a charity. That's the point. Um, right. To a cause, you know, but I really think you need to Google and read up on um, Black Lives Matter because that is the problem. People, not just youth, but people in general believe that Black Lives Matter is this benevolent organization that whose whose only main and only aim is to protect black lives and to uh, stomp out racism and all of that. Now, I'm all for protecting black lives and stomping out racism. However, that is not the underlying primary goal of Black Lives Matter. 
And they have mm-hmm. great PR people because they have been able to promote and continue for years now. It's been like 20, since 2012. They have been able to promote this idea that that's what they're about. And what they're mm-hmm. really about and what their founders are about um, is uh, Marxism. They admit that they are Marxists. They are trained mm-hmm. Marxists. Um, and they are trying to disrupt the, with all their education at these early ages, they are trying to disrupt um, what people believe about sex and their sexuality and all of that, and they're trying to disrupt the traditional American family and, and create anarchy and then have America become Marxist. So people don't get that, and they do, you know, little girls, or this is not so little, but teenage girls um, donate their birthday money. I mean, you know, that's how innocent they come across. Um, And so, in regard to your film, um, I don't know that there was one person, or perhaps I'm not remembering, um, I don't know that there's one person in particular of the six who you have in your film who speaks Mm -hmm. specifically about Black Lives Matter. Maybe I'm forgetting someone, but, um, but that is an example of what I was saying before, that they are, are trained because they are, uh, school, literally schooled in these precepts of Black Lives Matter. They think, you know, that this is a great thing. So can you address that? Yeah, I think, uh, do you want to go first or should I go first? No, uh, yeah, Seth, you can go first. I I do have a point that I wanted to add, but Seth, uh, go for it. So Sophia mentions it in our documentary and addresses it directly head on. Um, But I think from a very centrist perspective, uh, from, you know, from Laura and I's perspective as well, she says, you know, if we don't have a planet, then nothing else really matters. So in her sense of prioritizing the, um, the values of what is important in the world, for her, um, identifying obviously the black woman and, and, and the, the respective issues that she felt growing up, for her still maintains that environmental issues take a precedence, a precedence and a, a, the most co- best way to build a coalition and actually get things done. Um, as, as in regards to the sentence, the sentence and the, the motto uh, of BLM, of, of, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Black Lives Matter. Um, but the institution suffers like any institution does, like the Catholic Church does, or any other church that has, or any other institution that decays, that falls mm-hmm. apart that becomes corrupt. And so, of course, it's very, uh, you know, very natural, very normal in our society to have a disconnect between the initial principles of a a, a well-meaning idea and the execution and the carrying out and the uh, way to, to solidify that and the, you know, the decay that happens in the process. And so you have stories that come out all the time of, you know, certain members of, you know, houses and all sorts of issues that come into it. And you know, I, I'm, I, I understand your point uh, very well. And I think, you know, of course, you know, you, you're, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's two things happening. There's, there's the difference between the idea and the institution and that parents 
and individuals need to educate themselves between the difference and really get clear and specific between being a good human being to another person and loving your fellow brother, your fellow neighbor, and, and, yeah. and loving them for them as a person, as opposed to uh, uh, marrying the ideology. Whenever you marry an ideology, you become an ideologue to that, and you become a slave to this institution. And no one should be a slave to any institution, um, uh, particularly ones with... Uh, with Ones, ones that have, have, have challenges in them that you start to see um, discrepancies. So I would mm-hmm. say that as the first thing. And then the last thing I would say, and then Laura, I'll, I'll let you pick up right away after me, is just to say the pressure to belong when you're young is yeah. insurmountable. And I'm imagining your friend, this young girl, um, wanting to do something good and wanting to belong because it's, it's, it's popular and right. she wants to uh, do something that, that feels, you know, right. And she wants to be included. Nobody wants to, nobody at that age wants to speak up and have a difference of opinion. So that's what I'll say. That's I'll right. hand the ball over no, to that's Laura. Tr- well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's essentially the point that I was going to make, you know. And I, and I do feel like that, that feeling that you already innately have as a teenager, right, or as a, as a young person in this world who's still developing and maturing, that you do want to belong, you do want to be accepted. Um, it's exacerbated. That's one of the downsides of social media. So if you're not educated about a cause and you, you see your friends, you see people in your social circles posting about things that they don't even fully understand, advocating for a mm-hmm. cause that they don't know how it really functions, but they're doing it because they, they see it trending, right? They see a hashtag and they get excited and they try to build mm-hmm. excitement. You know, kids are more susceptible to fall in line with that. And then they're more susceptible to post um, sound bites and headlines without doing their research, without reading properly into both sides of an argument. You know, it's, it's a very vulnerable position to be in as a young girl, like the young girl that you just described, where you are trying to make sense of the world. And the only way that you find that you can do that is, is through the people around you, you know, and, and you see yourself as a reflection of that. So I would, I would say that's one of the downsides of, of social media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, I was looking at my notes, and Sophia is a black uh, teen, and she does mention Black Lives Matter, but she didn't really get into it very much, or else you didn't, like, she didn't include those parts. But let's talk about, um, when did this movie come out, and, and what kind of react? well, besides the awards, of course, that's wonderful, what, um, mm-hmm. what kind of reaction have you been getting? Well, our favorite reaction, Lauren, I would say, and, and I'll, I'll let you pick up on the floor, because I feel like I've been talking a lot, and I, I, I can... <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if you've sensed through the course of this interview that we're we're essentially one brain. So one brain. Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. that people from different stripes, Laura, that's where I was going. You got different points of view, like the film. That's and. You know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just speaking you know on I mean? even a more personal on a more personal note, I remember someone um, I think they 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 messaged us privately and they said, you know, this film awakened inside of me the activist that I felt for a long time had been gone. You know, it, it, it awakened the, the, the child within me that had been silent for a long time, mm. you know? And, and what mm. they meant by that was they had been disillusioned or they had been numbed by, you know, the events around them. And they, they felt like um, this documentary gave them a new 
you know, a renewed sense of hope and a, a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, lovely to hear. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I echo that. Yeah, echo that. Okay, and I like good. that Republican, our Republican because, like it. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, <laughs> because uh, you know, that is true. I mean, um, today there are all kinds of things that are happening that are not good <laughs> for America or for the world, for that matter. And um, uh, I have been trying to get people to wake up and do something about these things. And that is... A, um, regardless of what politics uh, you believe in, um, that is, I, I could see uh, that reaction, that it does awaken, like it reminds you of when you were young at heart, whatever your age, and you um, felt that you could change the world or you wanted to change the world instead of just kind of giving up and, you know, burying your head and, and figure, saying, uh, there's nothing I can do, it's just too crazy. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is really good. Um, so what is what is your next plan? Your next project? Well, only God knows. Uh, <laughs> only, only God. The cinematic knows. God. I mean, as a cinematic God, we've got we've got a film about a blind painter. We work a lot with disabilities, so we're going to be working with a film about a blind painter called A Dream Beyond the Dark. That hopefully we'll be working with Lionsgate um, Studios coming up. And that that's pretty exciting for us. Um, yeah, you know, that sounds great. We we are we are you know in in different 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 uh, different projects all the time. And and but for now, really focused on getting people to see the day I had to grow up on on all the different platforms, whether it's you know Tubi or Amazon Prime. Um, you know, Plex, anywhere that people can see it. We want, we're spending this time really to focus on getting the film to be out there because we, 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 yes, we, we love yes. the dialogue. We believe in, we believe in, in the, we believe in the dialogue. We believe in di- dialogues like this that make this country a better place and are what is necessary in this country that come back to the first principle where we find um, the common things that we agree upon. You know, when we started off this conversation, and we were off air, we said, I remember you telling me an hour ago, um, a little bit more than that, <laughs> saying, you know, I, I have a different perspective than you. And I said, well, you may, you may be surprised. You may be surprised to know what perspectives we have. And I think right. in this one hour of, of good dialogue, we've, we've, we've found some common ground. It doesn't mean we've hit you know, yeah. 10 out of 10. But there's some there's some things some some core principles that we agree on, and I, I think the yeah. country needs that a lot more too. Yes, yes, that's absolutely that's a great a great way to uh, end. Um, let me just again tell my listeners. Um, first of all, uh, my guests um, Laura Pellegrini and Stefano DeFray, and um, the movie. Um, the day I had to grow up and people, how do you suggest, I mean, I know you mentioned a couple of Amazon Prime and so on. Uh, any particular place you suggest people go? Yeah, Laura, Amazon Prime is a big one, of course. Um, it's also available on Plex TV. Um, it's available on Tubi TV and Roku and Amazon Fire Stick. Uh, where else, Stefano? Vimeo On Demand. Vimeo yep. On Demand. And uh, well, if, if, yeah, I think that's uh, that's good. And then I think one more Zumo. I think if you're if you have cable network through Comcast, it's on Zumo. 
S-U-M-O-Sumo. Exactly. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. This has been really um, an exciting conversation, and um, I wish you a lot of luck with the film, um, particularly, you know, that bringing out that final point that we were talking about, how um, we, whatever you believe in, the point is to get out there and do something about it. So thank you very much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 